it's great to see everyone. Good morning. Blessings to you all. You know, we're in this uh, final stretch here where we make our way to Easter. and We've got this really, I think, uh, amazing weekend ahead of us. This is the Easter week. And I know a lot of you are already aware of it, but I just want to remind everybody about the, the schedule changes that are coming up and, and the different options that we have and opportunities we have to mark this moment. And one of the things that you need to be aware of is this Friday, we have our Good Friday service. It's going to be happening here at the Mission Campus. That's at 12. It's just a very short, modest service, only really about one hour. And what we do is we really intentionally focus on the cross. We share in communion. It's very reflective, and there's an interactive component to it. Just kind of be aware of that. That's going to be happening 12 noon, Good Friday. And then that evening, we start with the presentation, Come and See. And we've created that uniquely just for this year. It's going to be very different than what we've done in the past. It's a very artistic. Uh, I don't want to give too much away, but we're really looking forward to how we can present the message of Jesus in a very unique and, again, artistic way. And that's happening Friday night, two on Saturday, you can see, and then the three on Sunday. Note the times. Also, simultaneously at the Lake Merced campus on the west side of the city by Brotherhood Way in San Francisco State, we're going to be having also a, a more, I wouldn't call it more traditional, but I'm going to be sharing a message there, and we're going to have what we would typically experience, which is a little bit more around the Easter theme, and we'll be doing that twice at Lake Merced campus, so that'll be going on simultaneously. Just pray and think about what works best. We really want to prevent, present different opportunities for everyone to take advantage of. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to sharing this time as well. I want to ask God to bless this morning with all of its surprises already, and we're going to, we're going to welcome him in as we share in his words and and Lord, I just want to ask for you to bless our time, and I want to pray a blessing over each, each one who is here. I, I welcome your goodness. I welcome your grace. I welcome your life among us. And we really pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, you know, where we need to hear it. Every one of us, again, has our own stories. But I suspect there's not a one of us here that doesn't need to be strengthened in some way to be able to pursue you better or to be able to, be able to handle certain things in our lives um, better as well. And maybe sometimes those things are outside of us. Maybe sometimes those things are inside of us. But you know, and you love us. And so we welcome your goodness. We welcome your grace. We welcome your wisdom as we share in your word together. This is what we ask. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God, let it be. So leading into uh, Easter, leading into the cross, um, I want to look at this idea of transforming life that we've been sitting with. And we've been talking about how Jesus was transforming the life of one of his apostles, John. We're going to look at that some more. We've been talking about how he is making his way to a point where he's literally going to transform the meaning of life by going through the cross. And when he rises again, it changes everything. And then we've been talking about how that risen Jesus, who is present among us, wants to transform our lives as well. And that's like a big part of what we've been looking at. And so in Matthew 20, I want to pick up with this. I want to just start into this passage, and then we're going to sit with it and think about it, I hope, and glean some things from it. It says, Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, and he took the 12 disciples aside on the road, and he said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. So he's right on the edge of the cross, all right? That's the timing here. He's heading to Jerusalem. He knows what that means. He's actually telling them exactly what is going to happen, but they're not hearing it. Whether they think he's speaking metaphorically or... They just don't want to hear it. But he says things like this. Behold, we're going there. And, and the Son of Man, he's speaking of himself, is going to be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes. And they're going to condemn him to death. 
And they're going to deliver him to the Gentiles, that's the Romans, to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. But the third day he'll rise again. Now, it get, you, one gets the sort of, I guess, the feeling that the disciples, when they heard these words, weren't quite sure what they meant. And then every time, remember one time Peter spoke up, he got in real trouble. And so when he said, we're not going to let that happen. So they were just sort of not, not commenting. They were not saying things. But we, we know that it, they weren't thinking about the cross. Whatever Jesus meant by that, we don't know, but he, he must mean something else. Um, what they were thinking about, I'll tell you, was something very different. And we know it because it's going to show up in the passage we're about to look at. They were thinking about Jesus setting up his kingdom. They were thinking about Jesus, whatever this cross and resurrection talk, they were thinking about him establishing something. Because it was kind of a parallel track in Jesus' words. He would talk about his death and resurrection, but he would also talk about his establishing of a kingdom. And he had also mentioned something that had caught their attention. Because it's what they always believed. They believed he was the king. They believed he was Messiah. They believed he was going to set things up and change the order of things. And they also believed that if they attached themselves to Jesus, they would be part of that. And it was on their mind. We know from the earlier chapter, the chapter right that precedes the, the 20th chapter, chapter 19, that there was this interesting exchange that occurs between Jesus and a man we refer to historically as the rich young ruler. He was actually a young leader who was wealthy. And he was someone who was extremely devout. And he, and he came to Jesus in front of all the disciples and he said, hey, I would like to be a part of your team, essentially. And that exchange went in a very interesting direction because Jesus started asking him questions about how he kept the commands. And he said, I've kept all these commands since the day I was a young man. I've never stopped. I've sought to live a life of religious integrity. And he was wealthy, and he was young, and he was a leader. And he said, I would like to join your team. And Jesus said, oh, you can. There's just one thing I need you to do. And it's the only time he ever is recorded as ever asking anybody to do this specifically. He said to that man, he said, there's just one thing I, I want you to consider doing. I would love you. In fact, I need you to do this. You need to, you need to sell everything that you have, completely liquidate all your assets, give them away, and then come and follow me. And again, he never said that to anybody else. He said it to that man who had such amazing credentials. And the Bible says that the man walks away I can only imagine, and if we were just sitting with that, it would be intense. But he hears Jesus, and it, he, he must be incredulous because, like, are you serious? And Jesus was. And the Bible says that he walked away sorrowfully. It was, it, again, what is the picture of that? He must have put his head down and just walked away. Now, the disciples were all watching. Then Jesus turned around and said something like this. He said, do you know how hard it is for a person of extreme wealth to enter into the kingdom? And that's when he uses the, the statement about it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for such to happen because there's such a, a dependency and a definition and a, de and a sense of, of security then, Peter, then they said, well, who can make it? If, this, if a guy like this can't make it, who can? And you know what Jesus said? He just said, you know, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And then Peter's thinking. I'm, there's a reason why I'm going here. Peter's thinking, and he says, you know, Lord, all of us have left everything to follow you. 
You know, we did what he wouldn't do. What does that mean for us? And Jesus said something that I know was on their mind when, they, when we come to Matthew 20. And I asked them if they could just put the verse up real quick because um, and basically Jesus is saying in this 1928 verse, he's essentially saying, you know what? You are going to have thrones. You're going to be able to be in a position of leadership. When the Son of Man comes and sits on his glorious throne, you are going to be given thrones, and you're going to be given the position of leadership with the nation of Israel. That's what, it, and, and Jesus is talking about this. He goes on and on. Now, I, I bring that down because here's why. That was on their mind. You know what was on their mind? Yeah, that's what we're talking about. We're going to be the ones leading we're going to be the ones in authority. We're going to be the ones judging, judging our people. We're going to be, it's all coming together. Yes, Jesus, the kingdom talk. That's what we want to hear. Whatever that cross stuff is, don't want to hear that. But the kingdom stuff, yes. Thrones, cross, no. Thrones, yes. That's what we want. I tell you that was on their mind because watch what follows, okay? Now we come back to Matthew 20, 17. Verse, well, we read through 17 through 19, so look at verse 20, because something incredible happens. And it's, an, it's a wonderful, beautiful, um, I, I would call it humorous in some ways, but it also is kind of um, telling as well. What happens is we're told that while Jesus is, is talking, that they clearly had all been talking about this idea of leading in his kingdom and who's going to sit in the place of, see, the throne represented places of prominence and authority. And we know that two of the, the men, James and John, evidently had an extremely ambitious mother. She's known as the mother of Zebedee's sons. So it was, James, it was the mother of James and John, and she makes an appearance. And she comes bringing with her, again, James and John in tow. And in front of all the rest of the disciples and Jesus, we're told that she bows down in front. So she says, she bows down in, in front of, kneels like before a king, right? And I would assume that James and John are right there as well. And these are men. And they're kneeling down. And she says, and basically, watch what, ha watch what, what, what happens here. It says, she came with us and kneeling down and asking, him, asking, I would like to ask a favor of you, um, Jesus, when, when you come into your kingdom uh, when, when this is about to happen, um, I would like you to consider the possibility. She's advocating. Watch. She's advocating for her sons. She's basically saying, when you get this thing all set up, I would like to present the possibility <laughs> that James and John, what, that, that one could be on your right and one could be on your left in the position of the two greatest positions of power. Would you consider them? They're very good. I know they're part of your inner circle already. <laughs> and they have amazing talents and gifts. And it, it, there is nothing I would love more than to see both of them sitting in the, in the place of, of authority, right in the left hand. The two most powerful positions. When you set it all up, I think, I think they're worthy of it. Now, we look at it, we go, is, this, is she being serious? Absolutely serious. Total serious. And John and James are right there with her. And by the way, the rest of the disciples are watching all this happen as well. And, and look what it says happens. He says, would you grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left, when you set it all up? Now again, Jesus is heading, <laughs> he's heading into Jerusalem. He knows what's about to happen. He's about to die. He's going he's gonna to get 
overwhelmed at a spiritual, physical, emotional level. I mean, he could see it's, it's a cup. He's going to drink a cup. He's gonna, he says, where he's going, no one can go. And now she's talking about in this, while he's got so much on his mind, they're arguing about who's going to get the best seats on his, uh, you know, Jesus Corporation board. And, when, and who can have the powerful position and the second most powerful position and why they're worthy of it. And Jesus says to them, do you have any idea what you're asking? And then he makes this statement. Look at that. He says, are you able to drink the cup? And watch how Jesus switches. And I can almost see Jesus saying, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? The cup, by the way, that he will say, Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. That cup. Are you able to, 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 to suffer with me? Are you able to receive the baptism that I'm about to be baptized with? Because it's going to be a baptism of tremendous suffering, and it's going to be a baptism he will be a sacrifice. And he looks at them, and he's, see, here's the thing. They're jockeying for position. Their complete misapprehension of everything that he was doing here in these closing minutes. The part of him says, do you have any idea what you're asking? Do you think you can do that? And to just show you, and again, I see the mixture of the the holy and also just the everydayness of human and the humanity. Because the because when he says that statement, they turn to each other and the, we're, it's, we're told this is what they say. They look at each other and again I imagine them going, "Yeah, we could do that." <laughs> look what it says. Yes, we are able. Yeah, I think we we both thought it through. And whatever that cup thing is that you're talking about, and whatever the baptism thing, absolutely, we can do it. <laughs> oh, I'm jesting, but that's exactly what they said. Jesus got utterly serious, and they're like, yes, we can. We've been groomed for it. And the thing about it is Jesus then, what we're told, looks at them, and I, you know what? I think he's amazingly restrained. Because instead of rebuking them, which is what I would have done, <laughs> I would have said, you fools, you have no idea. You are so far away from me right now. You're at a whole other place. You don't, okay, I would have, would have gone off. Jesus is amazing. He looks at them, and instead of stripping, maybe partly because even though what they said was completely ignorant, and filled with faulty, youthful bravado. But when he looked in the eyes of James, I suspect, and Jesus will say it, look what he, he, he follows it up and he says, look, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to be baptized with. What he says is, even though you have no idea what you just said you're able to do, I think when he looked at James, he looked through the man into his future. 
And when he looked in his eyes, the eyes of this cocky man who didn't even understand what he was saying or what his mother was doing or what it even meant to be a leader in the kingdom, truly. What he had no clue about what Jesus was about to go through. But I think when Jesus looked into his eyes and the reason he said what he said, which is this, Actually, even though you don't understand what you're saying, you're saying more than you know because there is a day coming when you will drink of this cup and you will also be baptized with the baptism. And we know in Acts 12 that James will become the first martyr of all the apostles. And he will have his head separated from his body on a whim of a raging mad despot. And perhaps Jesus, as he looked into the young man's eyes, saw into his future and said, yes, that is true. And John, John, also for you, there is much ahead of you. And even though your path will be different, nonetheless, you are correct. You are correct. It's a long journey. And there will also be some suffering in it as well. It, it was an intense moment. Now, but then look what happens is after that. He says, look, but you, you, you will indeed drink the cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But you know, to sit on the right hand to sit in the position of ultimate authority and on my left, this, this is not mine to give. It is for those for whom it is prepared. I, have, I, I dole out no favors for what is to come. The rules of the kingdom are in accordance with, um, with fixed principles of justice and the will of the Father. This, the, by the way, what we're told after that, verse 24, uh, I love that verse. One of the great understatements of all time. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. <laughs> it's like, are you guys serious? You're setting yourselves ahead of the rest of us? You said all this, in front you did this in front of all the rest of us? Who do you guys think you are? We'll be the number two, the one and two in the kingdom. We're worthy of it. You know what Jesus does next? He says, come here. He says, look, says he gathered them. Come here. I love Jesus so much because one of the reasons is every time the heat is on, he, he thinks bigger than himself. You know how hard that is to do? Anyone who's led at any level, and I mean any level, even if it's just leading ourselves, we're all leaders. Even if it's just ourselves, we lead, we influence, we make decisions, we have impact. And whenever Jesus, I, I, it's like this, what he does here. It says, he said to them, he says, Jesus called them to, look at verse 20, 25. Jesus called them to himself. He said, come here, uh, tenderly, come here, like a shepherd. And he brings together the offending and the offended. All of you, come here, come here. One more time, we're going to have this talk. We've been talking about it a lot. I know, thrones are on your mind. I get it. You think you're better, you think you're better, you're mad, you're mad, everybody's upset, everybody's contending. This is all about who can be in a position of power. I need you to come here. I need to talk to you one more time. And then he gives them a lesson. He tells them, look, I've said it to you before. I want to say it to you again. Please understand this. Hear me. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, he's talking about the Romans, right? He says, they, they lord it over them. Um, and those who are great, look at that, verse 25, exercise, you know, great, exercise authority over them. You know that the Gentiles, the Romans, obtain power and position on the basis of heredity and appointment. He's basically saying, and look, and look I love what he's doing. He's, gonna, he's about to reconcile the world by giving himself away. 
And yet in this moment, he has enough to reconcile his own group. That's what, what an amazing thing that is. I go, Lord, you know, because sometimes we, get, we go, oh, I gotta, I gotta, how can I even pay attention to this? And yet Jesus, while he's on the verge of doing something that will alter the, the universe and eternity and the entire experience of the human race, can pull out of that moment and then say, we need to be reconciled in this moment. I don't want you guys treating each other like that. How many times have we had this discussion? Do not be like the Romans. Don't be like the Gentiles who see it all about who's in the power position. Don't do that. It's an intense moment. Verse 26, he says, it shall not be so among you. Stop this. This is not our way. That's what I'm hearing. I hear him say James, John, this is not our way. Do not, stop it. Position, true authority is secured by your willingness to put your life out on behalf of the others. Do you understand that? It's, it's, that's how honor is secured. You're talking about my kingdom. Honor is secured in my kingdom by your willingness to give yourself on behalf of your brother, not, not to lord it over him. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? It's about serving for the best interests of the whole, if at all possible. You've got to change your mentality here. You've got to love better. Come on, you guys. And then he says this, verse 27. Look, whoever desires, look, 26. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him become your servant. Earlier, he basically uses the word slave, a common servant. Earlier, remember we talked about this a couple weeks back. He had used an example of a child. He said, this is the kingdom. He, he had brought a little, they were arguing again. He, he brought the child up and he said, you gotta be like this. But what did the child and the servant have in common? None of them had power. They couldn't defend themselves. They were also very dependent. They didn't have the ability to exercise their will at whims. Jesus was using that as a model. What was he saying? He was saying, look, we, you, gotta, you gotta change your mentality. Finally, verse 27, and whoever desires to be first among you, let him, let him go to the back, back play. Let him be the servant, let him be the slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He says, I'm gonna be the self-emptied one. That's where I'm going. And watch what I do. I'm not just telling you. I'm going to go, I'll, sh I'll show you. Watch this. But in the meantime, you've got to understand the mentality that is here is not good. It's not good. It's, you talk about my kingdom. You want to sit on the throne. But you've got to learn how to love each other better. Watch what I'm about to do. Now, that's on our mind. Such was his call. Such was his love. I'm going to put a couple things up. We'll sit with it. We'll finish with these things. It's just engaging it a bit. And I'm going to call it, I'll start by saying this. Let's guard against being this kind of self-centered, ambitious person. I, I, but instead, let's follow the example of Jesus and pursue the well-being of others, especially those who we've been given to love. The Zebedees were ambitious, weren't they? The whole family was. That's pretty clear. They were self-seeking. They saw greatness as power. And they connected it as many do today. Well, think about what they did. You say, oh, that's kind of what they did. No, think about what they, they did the exact thing people do today. They connected greatness with a symbol. They connected greatness with a throne. You and I, we live in a day when people also connect things 
to greatness in that way, right? I mean, we, we connect things like, like, you know, our thrones, cars, houses, titles, positions, status, accounts, portfolios, the things that Jesus says people attach to greatness. And, you know, I'm not saying those things are bad in of themselves, but I will say this. Those are symbols. They said, we want the throne. That's all they were saying is, that's what we want. Set it all up for us, Lord. And what Jesus was reminding them is don't live on the basis of symbols that, can, that will pass away, fade away. We don't carry them with us, and someone will forget we even have them by the time we're gone. No, lay up for yourself treasure, not on this earth alone, where thieves come in and steal and rob. You know, whenever you get something robbed, you remember. Wife had her car broken into, things were taken out of it. You feel violated. Thieves come in and break in and steal. Jesus said, be rich towards God. Don't, don't, don't build on the wrong thing. So many of us, we get so anxious about things that we can't even hold on to anyway. You know what Jesus saw? Jesus saw greatness connected to giving. He saw it connected to sacrificial love. Um, it had to do with laying, when I look at Jesus, it had to do for him with laying aside, being willing at times to lay aside. I love the way he did it. He laid aside his rights. He laid aside his delights to secure for us something we could never earn for ourselves. And are there things that the Lord is saying, perhaps to some of us, what does that mean? Are there certain things that maybe God's asking us to yield? What does that mean for us in our situations? Are there certain things that if the love of Christ is truly working in our life right now, it won't be clutching for the place that only satisfies us, but it takes into account the people we love? And the things that we've been, we've been given to, to honor on his behalf, what does that mean? What does that look like? What, do we, what does it mean to wrestle with that? That just because we have something, why have we been given that? And how do we use it to be the blessing? Well, there are certain times where the Lord will ask us to follow in the way of Jesus and not simply contend for ourselves, but to be more other-focused. What would being more other-focused look like in our lives? These are great questions. What does that mean? Maybe we know very clearly. Maybe, we, maybe some of us know very clearly that the Lord is saying, this isn't about you in this. This is about the people I've called you to love and serve. And you need to do this. But Lord, I want the throne. I don't want the cross. But the cross is where the life comes from. But secondly, I'll put this up. A scarred against a rash confidence and instead pursue humility, humility of spirit. What did they say? Are you able, they, when Jesus said, are you able to drink the cup? Are you able to be baptized? Yes, we are able. But they were not even closely aware of their flaws. They, they had no idea of their limitations. They had no idea of their weakness. They did not know, you know why? James and John, just stay with me, they did not know themselves. And so they were foolish with their words. And all of us, at some point in life, and I try to tell this to the younger ones, but some, at some point in life, we're going to buckle because we're not strong enough. And it's not the same thing for every one of us. Some of us can carry certain things for a long time really well that another person, when they're trying to carry it, would crumble, would, honestly would crumble. But then switch some things around 
and just kind of maybe the unique personality, unique disposition, the way we are, um, we, have, we struggle with certain types of weight. Some of us have been maybe buckling under some things this week. It might have to do with things at work. Some of us have, and I know this is true, some of us are under enormous pressure. Enormous pressure. It might have to do with relationships that are becoming difficult or are eroding before our feet. Friendships that have meaning to us that seem to be falling apart. It might have to do with internal issues where we are struggling and people don't realize how hard it is to move forward when parts of us just wants to completely quit and give up. Because when you're thrashed, when the weight is on, it is hard to move forward. And it's even harder to move forward in faith with a good attitude. I'm going to tell you something. This is where the example of Jesus is humbling, but it's also extremely encouraging. Because Jesus, you say, what are you doing? He's Jesus. Yeah, but you know what I've noticed? Think about this. You're gonna, this is the week to really think about it. When everything turns after Palm Sunday, and the crowds die down, and they end up crying, give us Barabbas, and the final move is made, and Jesus is declared one now worthy of death, and he's, he's pummeled, they stick the crown of thorns on him, they shred his back, they beat him to a pulp, and after they strip him down, they make him march to the street like a common criminal, and he's carrying, if you recall, a cross. He's carrying his own death instrument. He's going to die on that thing. And they stick it on his back, his back's bloody. And here's the thing. The Lord of the universe who became one of us, the Son of Man, Jesus in his full humanity. Take it for what it is. It's what, one of the things I remember every Good Friday. He can't do it. He, he, he can't carry it physically. He's a man in his prime. But he stumbles, and he, he, he can't do it, he, physically. And they call out a man from the crowd, they say, you! No, he's Simon, man from Africa, Simon the Cyrene. You, come out here, you help this, you help him. And together, think about that, the humility of Jesus, the humility of God. And what does it say about you and me? Because he crumbled under the weight. I go, the Lord knows us. He knows us. If he, if he who is great would allow himself to be in that place and, and, uh, and de- he couldn't do it, what does that mean for you? It's okay. It's okay. He's okay. We may not fall apart, but we're not as good as strong as we think we are. We can hurt and we can be hurt. We all need his grace to do this right. The more we see of him, truly see him, the more we will see our lack, our shortcomings, and the more, okay, the more, I'll tell you why weakness is not our enemy. Because the more we see it, the more we will go, Lord, I don't need a throne. What I need is your mercy in my life. Let your grace flow through my life. And he says, I will. I will too. Let me meet you right there. 
In his radiance, our blemishes become all the more evident. That's true. No room to glory, no room to boast. Amazing grace, that is all. Amazing grace, that is all. And yet we are loved just as real as Jesus loved James and John, even in their folly. Last thing, and we'll leave it here. Let's guard against a false sense of greatness and pursue instead faithfulness. That was what was modeled for us. Remember that what is truly great in the eyes of Jesus is not, I'll just leave it like, like this. What, what Jesus said was truly great was not contending for position, but embracing contentedness. And contentedness is not resignation. Because that's the lie that's going to be sent our way. Jesus says, do not contend for position. That's not greatness in my eyes. That's temporary stuff. It'll be gone tomorrow. Some of my built a statue to the special ones, but that's forgotten and birds just sit on it. It'll crumble. Contend not for position. Seek to be content. Content means that I find my unique fulfillment in that which you have given to me to embrace. The responsibility you entrust me with, by your grace, I will honor it to the best of my abilities. And when I cannot, then you come in. You see? And it is not resignation, like, this is my punishment, this is my lot. That is not contentment. Your pleasure is my unique contentment. And what Jesus says, watch me. And he moves right into the cross, not away from it. And then he goes through the cross. And out of that cross comes the resurrection and the life. And the life that we have in God is directly because he went through that for us. Not all death is death. There's, there'll be times when we want to run away. Jesus said, if it is possible, I would, but I won't. I won't. Not my will, yours be done. And then he did it. That's our hero. That's the model. It wasn't easy, but it was victorious. We pray. So Lord, we thank you for your great example. We thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for your words. We thank you for your life. We thank you for the privilege of knowing you, yes, even at times in the fellowship of suffering. The cross is the vehicle that brings forth the life. We ask for your life flow this entire week, Lord, in ways we couldn't even have conceived. Let it be, Lord, that by the time we celebrate Easter, we'll be celebrating the resurrection and the life and even life that you work within all of us. We ask this in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. Amen.